self-determination. These were his comrades, like family, closer than brothers. He had, on many occasions, been willing to lay down his life for them. But now? General-in-chief of the armies, General Robert E. Lee, surrendered his Army of Virginia at Appomattox on 9 April sending waves of shock and disbelief throughout the Trans-Mississippi Confederacy. Generals Johnston, Beauregard, and Maury soon followed Lee. President Jefferson Davis and his cabinet had fled Richmond. A demented, misguided actor named Booth had put all hopes of a negotiated peace or gentle readmittance to the Union to rout when he fired a bullet into the brain of Abraham Lincoln on 14 April. Bands of dispossessed Negroes, ragged soldiers without armies and starving civilians were running amok throughout the South, pillaging warehouses and supply depots. There was no authority in place to stay the tide of panic. Now, word had come by courier that, on 26 May in New Orleans, General Simon Bolivar Buckter had surrendered all the Confederate forces west of the Mississippi, subject to the approval of Commanding General Kirby Smith, and that on 2 June, General Smith went on board the United States steamer Fort Jackson, lying off Galveston Harbor, to sign the Articles of Surrender. The war between the states had officially ended. That same courier carried orders from Kirby Smith to Joe Shelby, instructing him to march at once to Shreveport and surrender his command to Union General John Pope. That news threw Shelby into a purple rage. He gathered his command and, in a stirring oration that spawned waves of tumultuous cheers from the assembled troops, fit and infirm alike, he vowed never to surrender his sword or his command. He offered the men these alternatives. "'We can stay and continue to fight,' until we are overwhelmed for a cause that is now irretrievably lost. We can disband and go home, our tails between our legs like cur dogs bent to the will of our Yankee masters. Or we can march proudly as a unit into exile, to Mexico, and a new confederacy, undefeated, uncowed. I say, Mexico, who is with me? When the cheering and the applause had died, Shelby dispatched his troops to their company fires to spend the night in talk and consideration of what each man was to do. The volatile general expected, of course, that some of his men would wish to return home, but the rest had never heard his voice but to obey. The following day, Shelby sent out a call for volunteers from the ranks of the defeated armies of the South to join him in his defiant march under the banner of the bars to a Mexican promised land. The call was heard and answered as hundreds of disgruntled and angry soldiers from all corners of the Confederacy poured into a camp at Corsicana that still kept to its routine. Guards and pickets and advance posts, saber drills, pistol practice, formation movements— in Brigadier General Shelby's command, the South still lived, fearless and forever. The night before, Trace Garrett had been confronted by his best friend, 
Captain Cliff Holtzclaw. Holtzclaw felt it was the duty of every man-jack of the Iron Brigade to follow Shelby to Mexico. Trace had said only, I'm going home. And Cliff had stomped off into his tent, dropping the flap behind his back. Trace paused at that tent now, a lump the size of a cannon shot aching in his breast. His jaw steeled as he walked on, headed toward Shelby's tent. As an officer, Garrett felt he must inform Joe Shelby in person of what he intended. He owed the man that much. Seeing a lamp's glow inside the command tent, Trace rapped lightly on the wooden support pole. Knowing the flamboyant Shelby's unpredictable moods, he was unsure of how he would be received. Come in.